Sing Second Sports is a ProVision Advisors production. Let us solve your toughest communication problems and leave your team stronger and more capable for the challenges that lie ahead. Visit www.provisionadvisors.net to learn more. Hey, hey, and welcome to the Sing Second Sports Podcast. I'm John Schofield. Joining me, as always, is Bill Wagner of the Capital Gazette newspaper. Today is Monday, March 7th, and let's talk about what went down yesterday at Alumni Hall for Navy men's basketball in front of a raucous crowd and an announced gate of 1,179 people. Thank you to you. Navy won in dramatic fashion. Navy men's basketball outlasted BU 85 to 80 in overtime in the Patriot League tournament semifinal. The victory by the second-seeded mids over the third-seeded Terriers advances Navy to the championship game of the tournament. Sunday's game featured 11 ties and 16 lead changes. There were eight ties and 10 lead changes in the last 12 minutes of regulation alone. It was cardiac to the point where Wags and I were watching a lot of the final minutes while standing up because it just felt, it felt wrong to sit down. Uh, Navy was led by Greg Summers, who had 21 points, six boards, five assists in a performance which can only be described as tough, gritty, mean. He was the catalyst for a lot of the toughness the mid showed on defense and in scooping up offensive boards. Summers had three of those and loose balls. And thank goodness at the free throw line with Summers hitting seven of eight from the line, all of those at critical junctures of the game. And John Carter showed late in the game and in overtime the kind of deadly shooting and senior leadership this team relies upon. He hit big three after big three, and he reminded me, Wags, of the way Maryland fans used to feel about Juan Dixon in the early 2000s. When he had the ball, you knew you were okay. When a big three was needed, he drilled it. And he did it all with a quiet and reserved intensity. And John Carter went full Juan Dixon yesterday. He finished with 21 points and six boards. He scored 19 of those points in the second half in overtime. Uh, And when he was putting up those late threes, the arena, sort of like Juan Dixon, knew they were going in. And his sort of quiet assassin look after he hit the big threes was absolutely money. Uh, Navy was 20 for 25 from the foul line, a significant stat that needs to be considered and held significant statistical advantages in rebounds, offensive rebounds, second chance points and bench points where they outscored BU 43 to 13. And a shout out for me to the administration for incentivizing, incentivizing the mids to be in attendance with Mission Barbecue and some Liberty incentives and a shout out to the mids who came and the other dedicated home fans who showed up to close the door on Alumni Hall until next November's Veterans Classic. And that's because this was the last home game. Navy will face top-seeded Colgate Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. in Hamilton. It'll be on CBS Sports Network. And the winner of this game goes to the NCAAs. This game, something the Mids haven't appeared in since 2001. So Wags, I want to start with you. I know that we need to discuss how the game ended up in overtime in the first place, 
But for me, it was sort of emblematic of the season, a low scoring affair down the stretch, a close game, a blown lead, a critical miss at the line, some questionable decision making as you go down the stretch. But also much like the entire season, after giving up that lead and going to overtime, Navy bounced back, showed toughness and got it done. So tell me what you saw in that second half, particularly down the stretch when we really thought we'd close this out in the uh, in the regular frame and didn't need overtime. Well, it was a great performance by the two Navy seniors, Craig Summers and John Carter Jr. In the end, in March Madness, in the winter go home point of the season, you need your seniors to come through. And they showed great senior leadership. You know, as John Carter said, at this point in our careers, we've been through it all. We've seen it all. We've done it all. And, you know, they weren't phased. They, you know, that was a bit of a gut punch when they weren't able to close it out. And, you know, there are some things that happened. It's just the way it is in basketball. But, you know, they, they fouled a guy in the corner when, you know, you don't want to foul the team that's trailing and let them score points at the free throw line with the clock stopped. That was a major mistake. And you could see Ed Duchellis just like put his head and his hands up, like, what are you doing? And then a, <clears throat> a miss at the free throw line when you could have made it a two possession game late. And then, you know, give, give Boston University credit, in particular, Javante McCoy. My goodness, that was an incredible performance by Javante McCoy. And Ed Duchellis had said, they have three seniors who are not going to want to play their last college basketball game. And Javante McCoy is actually a graduate student. So is uh, Souk Mathon, who's their big six foot 10, 225 pound center. Those guys are done. Uh, Walter White, their other senior standout, all Patriot League player, he was out. That was a break for Navy. He had an ankle injury sustained in the previous game against Loyola. And he did not play at all, not one second of the game. So that was, you know, a big key player for Boston that was not in the game. But my God, Javante McCoy just kept draining big shot after big shot. I mean, at the end, he just came down court and launched an NBA three. It was like Steph Curry stuff. I mean, my God. So uh, got to give them credit. It wasn't just Navy blowing it, but Navy made a few mistakes at the end of regulation that enabled Javante McCoy to become a hero and send it into overtime. But to the midshipmen's credit, they shook it off. They got back in the huddle and said, all right, well, well I guess we have to win this in an extra session. And that's what they did. And that's when Summers and Carter took over. Greg Summers twice drove the ball hard to the basket, got the layup, got fouled, three-point play, back-to-back possessions. Then John Carter took over, uh, three-pointers on back-to-back possessions. And you were right, John. You called it John Carter. He was taking every big shot. He, he was money. He, he did exactly what you want a go-to player to do. Give me the ball. I will make the big shot. So he and Summers were outstanding, and they got plenty of help and a lot of bench scoring, John. Uh, bench produced something like 43 points, I believe. I don't have the stats right in front of me, but I know it was significant. Yeah, right. I mean, and Yoder had eight, so, but it was mostly Summers. Obviously, this is a big change. Greg Summers is now coming off the bench. He, they're not playing him at point guard that as much, although, and you and I talked about this during the game, during the stretch in which they played some really good basketball down toward the end of regulation, he was on the point. And 
that lineup looked good to me. The only surprise is when you and I talked about this as well was Tyler Nelson was not in the game toward the end. Uh, he did not play. They had Yoder on the floor. It may be a free throw shooting thing because Sean Yoder is a 93% shooter. And ladies and gentlemen, I had to put my head in my hands in shame because they fouled Sean Yoder with something like 13 seconds left. And if he made both free throws, it was going to be a two-possession game, which would just mathematically, time-wise, would have been almost impossible for Boston to win. And I said to John, he's a 93% free throw shooter. And John was just like, Mwah. thanks a lot, Wags. Kiss <laughs> it was with eight seconds left, and I called it. I was like, that was the true announcer jinx. Like, <laughs> you can't do that. And sure enough, from our he vantage point, he was shooting the free throw right in front of us where we were sitting in press row. From the second it was off of his fingertips, I was like, that isn't even close. And it wasn't. Um, but to his credit, he hit the next one. But, you know, Wags, actually, I want to hear from Chris on this. The, the, the sequence goes like this. Tyler Nelson, after not playing very much at all down the stretch, gets fouled with 13 seconds left with Navy up 65 to 62. Nelson makes both foul shots to make it 67-62 with 13 seconds left. And that's basically at the point where we were like, this is done. McCoy comes down and then the course of four seconds drains one of those Steph Curry threes that Wags was talking about. Now with nine to eight seconds left, uh, we are only up 67-65. That's when the foul on Yoder occurs. Yoder misses the first. Yoder makes the second to make it 68-65. With only four seconds left, what do you do when you're up by three points? Do you foul and not let them shoot a three to possibly tie it? Or do you just play hard defense and hope that they don't make the three? Javante McCoy makes the three and we go to OT. How do you think that last part played out from your perspective? I think it's one of those things like you, you're predisposed one way or the other. So like I'm a foul guy, right? I mean, I played for a coach in high school and, and, you know, like our, our high school team fouled in that situation, right? That's just like, he always want, didn't want the team to shoot the three. I, I think it's, you know, what, whatever you're predisposed uh, to, to do. I mean, I was yelling foul, foul, foul. Um, but it, but it didn't happen. It is funny. I had a, uh, what I thought was a very witty tweet or um, witty text teed up to you guys. Um, and I neglected to send it for fear that I would be the reason that, um, that, you know, I jinxed Yoder uh, on that, uh, on that foul shot. So I'm glad to see it was wags uh, and, and not me that, uh, you know, that cost us the win in, uh, in regulation. Everybody heard me say, I, I guess I said it too loud. I hope Sean Yoder didn't hear it, but I, I said he's a 93% free throw shooter because John was standing behind me. And the little kid sitting in the seats right next to the press row, after he missed the first one, the little kid looked at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> That's when I put my head in my hands. I'm sorry. But um, I, I want to jump in, and I've got an explanation as to why they did not foul. Uh, Ed Gicellis gave the signal to the players on the court to foul on the ensuing possession. But Sean Yoder was at the line with his back to the coaching staff. He was focusing on his free throw, and he wasn't looking at the coaches. He didn't get the signal. Sean Yoder is the guy that was covering Javante McCoy. So Ed did want a foul. He asked for the foul. He signaled to the team to foul, but it wasn't communicated to Yoder. 
and Yoder's the one that was covering Javante McCoy. <laughs> so he didn't know. I said at the, uh, at the intro, I really felt then that the overtime became something that defined Navy um, and allowed them to exercise some demons from Army and Lehigh, allow them to get that confidence because they fell behind early. Uh, in overtime. And then you had this feeling like, oh, man, you know, this is not going to work. But after falling behind, Summers made a jumper. And then Summers made a free throw after the and one. And then going down some really, really critical shots by Carter, some great plays by Jalen Walker. Jalen Walker made a little baseline J and OT that was so clutch. Um, and his performance over the entire course of the game, um, Jalen Walker was kind of that third piece that Navy needed to complement uh, Carter and Summers. Uh, he finished five from eight from the field, two of four from three-point ra- uh, range, and those threes in the first half were huge. One of two from the line, four boards, two assists, but just a lot of hustle plays and toughness. And boom, there you are. That's how you end up beating a team for the third time uh, during the season. They did it before with American. They've now done it with um, BU. And now they have a chance to go up to where a lot of times in recent years, the road to the NCAAs is gone. It's had to go through Hamilton, New York. So Wags, let me throw it over to you. What do you expect to see when they go up to Hamilton, New York on Wednesday? Um, I actually believe that this matchup with Colgate is something that we want. I believe that during the year we have shown that this is a team that we can compete against. The result, the very last game of the year, it wasn't that it was unnecessary or, you know, it shouldn't be considered, but we were already locked into the two seed. They were locked into the one seed. I actually think we match up best against Colgate than we do against any other team. What are your thoughts? Well, Colgate's a very good team, John. Uh, they went 16-2 and two in the league. Uh, so they, they, they are a veteran team, once again, like all the other Patriot League schools are, with coming back for fifth years and graduate student years. Um, they're very talented, and they play well together. They've got great chemistry. They took Lehigh apart in the other semifinal on Sunday, beat them by 20 um, they've got several good, very good players. Nelly Cummings is kind of their bell cow. He's averaging almost 15 a game. He's an all Patriot League player. Tucker Richardson, Keegan Records. Um, they, they're, this is a good club. They, um, the coach, Matt Langle, is outstanding. And he has had Colgate in contention for the Patriot League championship now for pretty much four, five, six years in a row. Um, in fact, John, I, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think Matt Langle will be at Colgate next year. He, he, he's a rising star. And if Colgate wins another Patriot League championship, probably a good chance he's going to get a better job and move on to a higher level. Um, but this is going to be a tough ask. you got to get on the road. And uh, Ed Gicellis did mention that Navy's going to start traveling today. They're going to get, you know, about halfway up today, stop, rest, uh, maybe practice somewhere get a little workout in and then drive the remainder of the way. They don't want to do the drive to Hamilton all in one day, which I think is smart. Uh, That would put them into Hamilton early on Tuesday afternoon, but probably about noon Tuesday, and they'll have time to get off their feet at the hotel, then 
go do a walkthrough on Tuesday night. But, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a tough one. I mean, Colgate's legit, John. You don't go 16-2 in the league and not be a good team. And, you know, that they, they – I don't know. I, I, it's going to be a, a big, big ask for Navy, but they're capable. We know that. Navy, with their veteran players, Summers and Carter in particular, leading the way. But they're going to need more than that. Uh, they're going to need two other double-figure scores. That's the other thing. Colgate puts points on the board, John. Um, and that's why it was very encouraging to see Navy score 85 against Boston University, which was averaging 71 a game. The, the, you're going to have to score points in these games. If I made a note that Navy had been held to 55 points or fewer in seven of eight games during, during one stretch toward the end of the season. That's not going to cut it in this game. You're going to have to be in the 70s at least to beat Colgate. So, Chris, from your perspective, how do you view the momentum that we take from these two Patriot League tournament games, particularly this one where I can tell you from eyewitness experience as the players were leaving the floor, they were charged up. They were high-fiving the mids who had arrived underneath the uh, home basket um, you know, they, they were out there hugging their sponsor parents. They were in amazing spirits. And I really do believe that that the going into overtime and them overcoming uh, being forced into overtime allowed them to get over that Lehigh and Army loss. Um, yeah, not that they need some sort of chaise lounge epiphany moment to get over those things. They're athletes. They overcome adversity every single day. But from your perspective, after looking at all the ebbs and flows this year, what does this win mean? And what do you think it means for our chances to defeat Colgate in what would be viewed as an upset? But for us, I think we view as something that's very plausible. Yeah, John, I, I thought it was the best um, complete game win since Virginia from beginning to end. It sort of had all the things that we have criticized and critiqued over the year, right? I mean, where they, you know, seeming they get up big and then they don't play a very good second half and they kind of coast to victory. Um, we've criticized them for maybe not being as emotional as they needed to be. We've criticized them for not, not bouncing back from uh, in-game adversity. Um, and I felt like they responded to all of those challenges. Um, I mean, it would have been great to win by 20 like Colgate did. I mean, from a, from a cardiac standpoint, from a, you, you know, an overweight, mid forties guy uh, that was jumping up and down from his, uh, from his couch. But um, I feel like in terms of preparing for Colgate, that game exercised all parts uh, of what we want them to be ready to do when they go up to Hamilton. So I, I like our chances. I mean, I, I don't want to jinx us, but I think we're going to win. I, I really do. I think we're peaking at the right time. I think we've, we shook the monkey in round one. Um, we got ready here in round two. And I think we go up to Hamilton, take care of business. And I think we go to the NCAA championship or excuse me, the NCAA tournament. And ladies and gentlemen, just to play spoiler alert, that will be Chris Cervello's fantasy football team name next season. Uh, shook the monkey in round one. Um, I'll tell you what, from an, a serious level we're talking here at the Sing Second Sports Podcast about traveling up to Hamilton, something I vowed as the women's soccer O-Rep to never do again. Uh, but this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing, if you think about it. And we can talk about after the season whether 21 years is an appropriate number of years uh, to, to have to wait between conference championship game appearances 
you know, I think a program like this needs to expect to be like Colgate. Um, it should not be since Mike Heary graduated in 1998 that you represented the service academy at the NCAA tournament. And this is an amazing opportunity for them uh, to grab that and be a part of that narrative going forward. And then, holy cow, the exposure you get from maybe being a 15 seed and going up against number two seeded Kentucky or Villanova um, on a national stage on St. Patty's Day as the tournament uh, tips off in the middle of uh, March. I think it just does wonders for this program. And again, that's why we do this in order to, to create the awareness about how great the athletes are. So we're going to go to break. Uh, before we do that, we're going to thank our sponsors at the Naptown Scoop. The Naptown Scoop brings you all of the latest news in Annapolis, weather, music, real estate, anything you really want. And for sports information, we you can get it through us. But Sign up for the Naptown Scoop at www.naptownscoop slash sing. Make sure you use that slash sing and get the best news that Annapolis has to offer. We'll bring you the sports. They'll bring you everything else. The Naptown Scoop. When we come back from this break, we're going to bring, bring you everything else that happened over the weekend. A good weekend and a win for women's basketball. Not so great weekend as they kick off the Patriot League season for men's lacrosse. We'll bring in that when we come back. This is Sing Second Sports. All right, Sing Second fans, it's time for a few announcements from our friends of the Naval Academy Athletic Association. Navy football season tickets are on sale. Experience the pageantry and excitement of Navy football all season long by purchasing or renewing your season tickets today. To secure your Navy football season tickets, call 1-800-US-4-NAVY or visit NavySports.com. And finally, the NAAA recently announced the launch of a Navy N-Star Golds Full Speed Ahead to 10 campaign an initiative that will focus on reaching 10,000 Blue End Star Gold members. The program reached the highest membership in school history in 2021 with 6,250 members, surpassing the 2019 record of 6,050 members. The objective is to increase membership to 10,000 annual members, which will generate the additional revenue necessary to sustain the championship level commitment for all programs. Visit NavySports.com for more information. Now back to the pod. All right, we are back. Um, let's talk about everything else that went down this weekend. We're going to start with wrestling. Four of Navy's 10 entrants placed among the top eight in their respective weight classes, including 2022 finalists Josh Cotterhand and Andrew Cerniglia, who helped lead Navy wrestling to a seventh place finish at the 118th EIWA championships held Saturday and Sunday in Ithaca, New York. Jake Lukoser joins Cotterhand and Cernigula as automatic qualifiers for the 2022 NCAA championships. Those will be held March 17th through the 19th in Detroit. Uh, Cotterhand and Cernelia wrestled in the championship bout in their respective weight classes for the first time in their careers. Cotterhand, though, was the top seed at 133 pounds. He not only earned a spot in the finals by defeating Cornell's Dom LeJoy in the semifinals, but it also assured him of his ticket to the NCAA championship. 
Cotterham now stands at 25 and seven on the year and boasts the most wins by a Navy freshman since Jared Prince went 27 and nine as a rookie in 2016 and 17. Fourth seeded Cernigula picked up one of the biggest wins of the tournament when he turned a takedown by top seeded Josh Humphreys of Lehigh into a win with under 10 seconds remaining in the opening period. The win not only derailed an opportunity for Humphreys to win his third consecutive EIWA title at 157, but it punched Cernigula's ticket to his second straight NCAA championships. And Kozer, the number four seed at 197 pounds, lost to the top seed and defending two-time EIW champion Lou DePrez. But to Kozer's credit, he fought back, beat his next two competitors, and he'll go to NCAAs as well. Wags, thoughts on these three major accomplishments and the overall accomplishment by Navy Wrestling to finish seventh? Well, to be perfectly honest, I think Kerry Colat doesn't consider seventh as a team what what they're looking for. I, he has told me personally he they're all about winning EIWA championships. So he's not going to be happy until they're up there in the top three and they're contending for the team title. So I don't think if you talk to Kerry Colat, he'd, he'd say that seventh is what they want. But getting guys to the NCAA tournament is the most important part, and there could be more. They now go through a process in which they do at-large berths, and Navy could pick up a few more based off of their resume, as they say. Um, Cotterhand is legit. I mean, you don't find too many plebes that step into college wrestling and do what he is doing. It's pretty doggone impressive, John. Um, he is going, he's, he looks like a guy that could be an all American if he can continues to develop and, uh, you know, he's going to get more mature and stronger. So, I mean, he's got a bright, bright future. Love Jake Kozer. He's been a good wrestler for a while. Um, so uh, in the end, it's about getting wrestlers to the NCAA championships. And like I said, the Navy may pick up a couple more based off of at large berths. Uh, so. But in terms of team titles, John, I think, uh, you know, that fortunately Army finished behind Navy. That's one plus. You always want to be better than Army. And, you know, let's admit Cornell has been dominating EIWA now for a long time. Cornell's program is as good as any in the nation, right up there with Penn State and, you know, Nebraska, all of the Oklahoma's, all the ones you can think of in the, the Big 12 and Big 10. Um, so Cornell is a powerhouse. But, you know, Kerry Colat's goal is for Navy to be able to right there with Cornell and in challenging for an EIWA championship job. Yeah, and they're pushing for it, and we'll be rooting for them. We'll bring in those updates as those three, and hopefully more than those three, go to NCAAs there in mid-March. Let's talk about Navy women's basketball. They advanced to the second round of the Patriot League tournament in women's basketball with a come-from-behind 60-55 to victory over Colgate. Uh, seated eighth in the tournament, the mids trailed uh, Colgate for nearly 20 minutes. I mean, including trailing by one, 54 to 53, with two minutes to go before they closed out the win with a clutch 7-1 run. Jen Coleman went full video game uh, on Saturday. I was there to watch it. Uh, she had a game-high 29. Um, she was 7 of 10 from the foul line. She was basically everywhere. I used the Juan Dixon analogy um, <laughs> earlier to talk about John Carter. And she is 
early, like early pre Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan right now. Um, and when she gets a Scottie Pippen, um, well, she won't get a Scottie Pippen um, at Navy. But when we can combine something that is more Jordan and Pippen, vice just Jordan, I think that Tim Taylor is going to have a very, very good team. The duo of Lindsey Llewellyn and Sidney Watts aided Navy's cause with 10 points each. And now, Wags, it gets significantly more difficult as they have to go up to Worcester. That'll be tonight at 7 p.m. Watch it on ESPN+. Plus. But they have to take on top-ranked Holy Cross. How do you evaluate their chances there? Well, that's going to be a tough one, John. Uh, I mean, that's the, the danger. You play in a first-round game and you get a win, and your reward is to go up to Worcester, Mass., and have to play the top seed. Holy Cross is A-grade legit. Uh, they beat Navy 63-53 in Annapolis. And then when Navy went back up to Holy Cross for the second game, 63-57. So not, you know, close scores. I mean, six points, and that's not a bad result. So uh, Jennifer Coleman, <laughs> when she's on your side, you always have a chance. She's been amazing. I've said it on the show before. I think she's a pro. Uh, I, I believe that she can play in the WNBA. There's no doubt in my mind. She is so legit, and she's only getting better. Tim Taylor told me we were talking for the Senior Day story. He said, I really wish I'd had her for a couple more years because uh, they changed her shot this year, John. Um, they altered her. She had a kind of a herky-jerky motion, and they altered her shot, and it's made a world of difference, and she's shooting much better from the perimeter. And you know, Tim Taylor and his staff are good coaches, and I, I really think if they'd had Jennifer Coleman for longer – that she really would be something special. But, you know, she went into the WNBA. I, I bet you in two, three years, she'd be like all-star caliber player as good as, you know, as you get. Yeah, she's athletic. And you're right. I actually noticed it for the first time on Saturday there at Alumni Hall. She does have like a hitch in the giddy up. It's, it's kind of like what Lonzo Ball had uh, when he first came out of UCLA. Um, but Hey, like you said, it works, and they're advancing in the second round. Let's hope for a big upset against Holy Cross. They call it March Madness for a reason. Now, I mentioned Navy Lacrosse. They started off the Patriot League season by going up to Lehigh. Lehigh used a pair of four-goal runs in the second and third quarters to overcome an early 5-2 lead by Navy, and the Mountain Hawks pulled away and beat Navy men's lacrosse 11-7. Uh, seven different players scored for Lehigh um, after Navy pushed the lead to three with just two minutes, just two minutes into the second quarter on a Max Hewitt goal. Cole Kirst targeted his, his five yard runner to spark a three goal run that saw Lehigh pull even heading into the locker room at halftime. And then from there, as I said, it ended 11 to seven um, wags. We had talked a little bit about this, you know, when we first, you know, saw the uh, score line of 11 to 7. You and Chris and I were asking back and forth, is this a good loss? Is this a bad loss? We know that Lehigh has a bunch of super seniors, and certainly Joe Amplo doesn't want to start off the Patriot League season 0 and 1, but now you are 0 and 1. How bad of a loss is this, or is this to be expected from a young team that's going up a bunch against a bunch of super seniors? Yeah, I mean, this is Lehigh. This, it would have been an upset if Navy beat Lehigh on the road. Lee, Lee I was picked second in the league. And at this point, they actually look like the best team in the league because Loyola's struggling out of the gate. Now, Loyola's talented and they can turn things around. But right now, Loyola's got some issues, especially with goaltending and defense. They're giving up a lot of goals. But uh, 
Lehigh is A grade legit, and I'm just going to put a name out to you. Mike Sisselberger. He is one of the most dominant face-off specialists in the country, and he dominated Navy. He won 18 of the 22 face-offs he took. Um, I think Navy won one face-off in the second half. You are not going to win lacrosse games when the other team is playing make-it-take-it, and that's what Lehigh was doing. Sisselberger is an absolute force. He's a dominant, and, you know, it's hard to beat a team that's got a guy like that who gets them possession time after time after time. Yeah, I think that'll be my next uh, fantasy football team, my Sisselberger All-Stars. Well, the the Joe Amplo All-Stars have an opportunity to come back, play in front of a friendly crowd. They host Colgate on Saturday, March 12th, high noon, come out and see uh, Navy try to notch their first Patriot League win of the year. All right, now let's talk about Navy baseball. Navy baseball dropped two of three to Central Connecticut State over the weekend. Again, apologies to Captain Chris and Polishelli, uh, as we couldn't use his audio from our interview last week. There are unconfirmed reports that the team was so broken up by not hearing from their talisman on our incredibly popular podcast that they couldn't pull off the series win. Um, it was nice uh, out there. I saw Navy lacrosse great Mickey Jarbo with his kids talk to him about coming on the pod, which he will do uh, as we preview the men's lacrosse game against Johns Hopkins later this month. But suffice it to say, I don't think Coach Costi anticipated dropping two of three to Central Connecticut State. But Navy baseball returns to action at home midweek. Finally, Navy women's tennis swept the weekend from Drexel and Towson. I was able to go out there uh, to the uh, tennis facility out by the Brigade Sports Complex to take in some of that. Those are two great wins, and they are just kicking ass this year. Um, the men's tennis team lost to NGIT, but came back to defeat Drexel later in the day. Um, as we take this out, again, thanks to Dry D5, Red Red Wine Bar, Naptown Scoop, Academy Consulting, and of course, NAAA for supporting this podcast along the way as we continue to try to bring attention to the importance of the physical mission and everything that's great about Naval Academy sports. As we go into midweek, let's hope for a big win up there on Wednesday night uh, in Hamilton, New York. We hopefully will be there. If not, uh, we will still bring you a post-game pod on Thursday, along with a summary of everything else that happened this week. For WAGS and Chris, I'm John. Go Navy. Beat Colgate. We're out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.